This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Good morning, good morning, good morning. Anchor, how are we guys today? Good. My name's Arnaldo. I'm from the Stanmore uh, Gospel Community. Uh, that's right. And uh, I just want to uh, give an extra warm welcome to everyone here. I mean, it's a, it's a joy to be here, and it's a joy. Uh, I've missed uh, preaching, and uh, so I was very much looking forward to coming up here and sharing uh, what I feel the Lord has a word for us today. But quickly, I just want to plug triplets again, because triplets are, um, uh, they, they, they're a big commitment, but there are greater benefits to that. Um, and personally, um, being involved in a triplet is being a part of what God is doing in the world to renew the world as we become little by little more and more what one day we will be, which is like Christ. So if you are not a part of a triplet, please, I encourage you uh, to do so. Uh, so we're in the middle, uh, almost in the middle of uh, the sermon series in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts, for me, uh, this series has been uh, transforming for me. I remember even a couple weeks ago, um, while, while Matt was preaching, I just felt um, there's this line in, in one of John Wesley's. He's, he's a, a, a Methodist preacher. A line in, um, in one of his journals that says his, his heart was strangely warmed one day. And I just felt that the Lord has been uh, really challenging me and convicting me and comforting me through this series, and I, I hope that's been true for you too. So I'm going to read the text, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump straight in. So if you can join me in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 8, verse 26, it should be behind me as well. And this is the word of God. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that, was, that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or, or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with, with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. 
and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you that your word is beautiful. We thank you that your word is good. And we thank you, Lord, particularly for Luke, who was carried about by the Holy Spirit, who recorded this for us. And now I pray, Lord, that as we look at this passage, may you help me to forget the things that will be unhelpful for your people and that you would help me to remember the things, Lord, that will be helpful for your people. And I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would move through this room and bring new life, that those who may be dead in their sins and trespasses, Lord, may come to new life through your weak servant, but through your perfect spirit and word. So we ask all these things, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The word went out. It was preached. There was a, um, a Harvard medical study done uh, about a year ago, and there was a, a, a little video of it where they created this humongous Petri dish. Now, Petri dishes are, are generally pretty small, but this one was two feet by, by four, and what they did, they put a bacteria on there to see its growth, to see how it would grow. And on the outer edges of the Petri dish, there was no antibiotics, no antibodies present. So when they put the bacteria there, it, it flourished. But then in the next stage, they put about 10 times more antibiotics. And then further into the Petri dish, about 100 times. And in the center, there was about 1,000 times more antibodies and antibiotics there. And so they tested, they, say how, they, t they, they wanted to see how, if and how this bacteria would grow. And often we think that what, what would happen is once it hits the antibodies, it would stop. But in fact, what we see is that the bacteria continued to grow. And in fact, it evolved into a stronger strain and continued to take over that Petri dish until even it took over the center where there was a thousand times more antibodies than there were on the edges. And this had me thinking, as I was uh, pouring over the book of Acts and how the gospel goes out, so often we think that all these things, all these antibodies to the gospel should prevent it from growing. But in fact, what ends up happening, the gospel continues to grow. And in fact, it gets stronger. The more resistance there is what we've seen in history and what we see even in a lab on bacteria is that things get stronger and the gospel what we see through the book of acts we think that the gospel should have stopped it should have ended even in the beginning even in the beginning when we see the leaders of the movement being threatened and jailed we think that's the end of the gospel but it gets stronger and it goes out when we see internal deception and strife, we think, well, that's it. But it keeps going. When we see organizational systems not working and relationships breaking down, the gospel still continues to go out. When we see Stephen being murdered two weeks ago, we think, well, that's it. That's going to deter people. I mean, this man was stoned in front of a community. Surely people will start denying Christ. And yet the gospel continues to go out. Even last week when we uh, heard about the Samaritans, the most hated people of the Jews, we think, okay, surely this is it, right? Acts should end at 8 verse 25, surely. And yet the gospel continues to go out. 
And today what we will see is yet another barrier being broken for the gospel. Yet another thing that we think, surely, this will be it. And the book of Acts is about this. The book of Acts as a whole, if I can give you a pair of glasses to look through, a certain lens to view the book of Acts, it's this. The book of Acts is about God showcasing the kingdom of God through his people, his rule and his reign through his church. It's about the glory of God and the flourishing of humanity. It's about the glory of God and the flourishing of humanity. And funnily enough, what we learn is that the things that are meant to hinder the growth of the gospel end up being turned on their head and being used for the furtherance of the gospel. So what we need to understand is that whenever we see someone in the book of Acts turning to Jesus, whenever we see someone in our community groups turning to Jesus in new life, this is what we're witnessing. We are witnessing the in-breaking of the kingdom of God here. And so often, we know, we, we read the word in triplets and we pray and we think, oh, that wasn't uh, the most exciting experience that I've had every day. And yet, what you are experiencing and what, you, what we need to grow taste buds for is that when that happens, when we open up the word, when we show hospitality, when we forgive, that's the kingdom of heaven breaking through in this broken and beautiful world. So whenever we see someone turn to Jesus in the book of Acts, in our midst, we're, we're witnessing this quiet revolution of the kingdom of God breaking in. So I want to show us just two things really quickly from this text that we can learn. This is number, the first one. The first one is that we need to see that mission is utterly and wholly dependent on the spirit of God. Mission is utterly and wholly dependent on the Spirit of God. Look at verse uh, 26 really quickly. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip. And then later on in verse uh, 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. What we need to see here, one of the lessons here, and we can, we can camp out here for weeks, but one of the lessons is that mission is wholly and utterly dependent, propelled, initiated, sustained by the Spirit of God. But the question is then, how do we cultivate that kind of listening? How do we cultivate, how do we become a people that listen? So often we try to become a people who first speak. You know, when, 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 when I, I was so excited... Um, when we had the, the, uh, the evangelism training with Jerusha, and uh, plenty of people turned up and people were blessed. And I know Jerusha, and I know that that is soaked first in listening to where the spirit has already been and it is already. So to be on mission is to be able to discern where the spirit is already moving and being ready to move with him. We are never, listen, we are never first on the scene. We're never first response we don't have to create opportunities. What you need to realize is that we need to listen for the opportunities that the Spirit is already crafting in front of you. How do we do that? How do we become a people that are attuned to the Spirit? In order for us to be responsive to the Spirit, we need first and foremost to cultivate a listening is we need a new story. Most of us, 
are living on a borrowed and broken dream. Our vision of the good life is more dependent on our culture and our comfort than the scriptures. When we think about what does it mean to live a good life, how do you answer that question? Because it's how you answer that question, that, which is dependent on then how you will listen to the Spirit of God and whether you will listen to the Spirit of God. Because if the dominant theme in your mind, if the story that you are living into is that it is all about you, that it is all about your comfort, that it is all about your progress, your upward mobility, then the Spirit's voice in your life is going to be stifled because that is not the story that he's orchestrating. We need to live into a new story. It's, it's, it's almost like this. It's almost like um, now with, with the you know, Spotify and Tidal, I'm not sure if you guys experience this anymore, but oldies like me who still listen to the radio on analog, what happens when you, when you turn the dial and you try to get into a new station, what, what's in between? It's just static. And living, trying to live as a Christian, but still trying to live in the self-centered way that our culture dictates is like just trying to listen to a song in between stations. And all we get is noise and static. And no wonder we don't hear the Spirit. No wonder I don't hear the Spirit in my life because I'm trying to live in two ways. We need a new story. And in order for us to gain a new story. I just want to give you three, three quick things. First, in order for us to tune our ears and hearts to the spirit, we, ne- we need to spend time in his community. Not our, this isn't our church. It's not your community, you know, gospel community, although it is. This is God's temple. Listen to what Paul says. Do you not know that you, and this is the plural you, that use are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and yous are that temple. Yous be that temple, be. You are the temple. This is the temple of God, and the spirit of God dwells in us. So if we are going to be attuned to what the spirit is doing in our city, in our lives, in our neighborhoods, We need to be in community. But second, we need to be alone. We need to spend time with God alone in prayer. Because it's there where we are formed and our hearts are tuned to what God loves. And we become truly who we are because we are in the presence of the one who knows us as we truly are. In prayer, we become more like Christ because we are in the presence of the one consciously, who knows us better than we know ourselves. But finally, all of this needs to be soaked in Scripture. Soaked in Scripture. What we see in Philip is when, when, when he's listening to the Ethiopian eunuch, he knows what he's reading. He knows his Scripture. And we find later on that it's from this Scripture that he explains the gospel. Can we do that? If the opportunity comes, can we do that. In order for us to tune our ears, we need community. We need solitude in prayer. And we need scripture. We need to be soaked in scripture. It's, it's, like, it's something like a dog whistle. You know, when you, when you blow a dog whistle, we don't hear it because our ears aren't tuned to that frequency. 
And I wonder how many times the Spirit of God has told me, do this. And my, I'm just not tuned to that frequency. But community, solitude and prayer and scripture will help us to tune our ears to listen to the Spirit the way that Philip, Philip listened to the Spirit. And when the, when the angel, when the messenger of God said, go, he went. When the, when, when the Holy Spirit of God said, open your mouth, he opened his mouth. God, I, that's the life I want. That's the good life. Because it's when we are enjoying Jesus is that we will share Jesus. When we are enjoying his presence is when we want to call people to say, come, look, this is what, this is where the world is going. This is the true story of the world. A God who, who created everything good. A God who, who in, in, in his wisdom allowed this, this, this world to fall. A God who did not stay off when it did fall but entered into the brokenness. And a God who will one day renew and remake. And the question is, hey, do you want to join me in the quiet revolution of the kingdom of God? Leslie Umbigan says this. It will be behind me. I'll quote him at length. There has been... A long tradition which sees the mission of the church primarily as obedience to a command. It has been customary to speak of the missionary mandate. This way of putting the matter is certainly not without justification, and yet it seems to me that it misses the point. Me too, Leslie. I, I talk back to my books all the time. Right on. It tends to make mission a burden rather than a joy. To make it a part of law rather than the part of the gospel. If one looks at the New Testament evidence, one gets uh, another impression. Listen to this. And I made it bigger, I think, to this next line, I hope. Mission begins with a kind of explosion of joy. The news that the rejected and crucified Jesus is alive is something that cannot possibly be suppressed. It must be told. Who could be silent about such a fact? The mission of the church in the pages of the New Testament is more like the fallout from a vast explosion, a radioactive fallout which is not lethal but life-giving. Uh, is what I say. Amen and amen, Leslie, because as we enjoy Jesus, as we enjoy the gospel, we will call people to enjoy that with. I mean, you know, we do that with everything. This is nothing new. This is nothing foreign. I have a nephew He's 22. He's been trying for about five years to get me to watch Game of Thrones because he loves it so much. I'm like, eh. But he enjoys it so much. What do you enjoy that you share with people? Hey, have you seen that new show on Netflix? Have you seen this? Have you seen this new store? Have you been to this restaurant? Anything that we enjoy, we share. The question is, how can we deepen our enjoyment of Jesus so that we can share the gospel as Philip did? The second thing we see, so the first thing is that mission is utterly and wholly dependent on the Holy Spirit. And the way that we attune ourselves is by being in community, by being in prayer, in solitude, and as we soak ourselves in Scripture. But the second thing is that we see that grace is for the outcast. And I'll try to be quick here. But grace is for the outcast. This is what's interesting. We learn a couple things about this Ethiopian eunuch from verse 27. One, that he's a court official. Right? Of the queen of Ethiopia, charge of the entire treasury. I mean, this guy was an important figure in that government. We learn that. We also learn that he traveled about 4,000 kilometers each way to, 
to worship at the temple. I mean, I'm on the N5 today. I'm like, oh, this is like 25 minutes away. You know, some of us live a bit further. I get that. But this guy traveled 4,000 kilometers. Weeks at a time. Weeks each way. I mean, imagine trying to come to, you know, yeah, you know, I, I live in Perth, but I'm going to take a horse over to Sydney. I don't know how long that's going to take, a chariot. I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, I can, I can serve in, in about three months, you know. Just imagine that. Imagine him going all the way out. But that's not the most important thing that Luke wants to share with us about this man. This is what's interesting. He calls him an Ethiopian once. So he was a black man. He was a black African man. But he uses another word four times in this text. He calls him a eunuch four times in the text and only in the Ethiopian ones. And I think what Luke is trying to do here is he's trying to paint a pretty vivid picture of what he's trying to do in this story. What he's trying to do in this story is saying that the one, even who is a eunuch, and I'm not going to go into details, but it's rough. And, and so, I mean, basically, a eunuch uh, <laughs> would, would either be wholly or partially castrated. And eunuchs would do that, uh, uh, him in particular, would do that because he wanted to serve the royal family as a treasure. And that was a preventative measure from him engaging sexually with the royal family. And just imagine that job interview. I mean, I imagine the, the bombshell of saying, yeah, this is, this is a great position. This is even you know, a promotion, but you've got to do this. It was committed. Don't research that. It's horrifying. I did that last night. <laughs> it was hard. And, um, and just, just think about this. So he goes to the temple. 4,000 miles, a week's journey. He gets to the temple, and he can't get in. Deuteronomy 23.1 says, No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. And this man, I mean, and he rolled with a crew. He was rolling deep. He's a treasurer. He didn't come by himself. He came with an entourage of people. He goes all the way to the temple, and they don't let him in. That's crushing. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, if you've waited online for something for a few hours on a, you know, at a ride at a theme park, then they close it. You know, I don't know what you've ever experienced, but just imagine the crushing nature of the fact that this man went to worship God at the temple and they said no. So just imagine this, you know, the eunuch is, is in his chariot, he's reading a portion of scripture. And what we know is that this portion was Isaiah 53. And he reads, he reads this. He says, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he, he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And as he's reading this, Philip is like running next to him, next to the chariot. He's listening. And he gets inside the chariot. And he begins to share the gospel. But this, this is the most interesting. In a, a couple chapters later... In that very book of Isaiah, he would have read this. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. 
For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give him an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And in the eunuch's mind, he was thinking, when? When will this happen? I was denied entry into the temple because of my condition, because I am sexually altered. He was an outcast religiously. He was an outcast socially. His name would not be perpetuated. And in a time and in a culture where your name was everything, where your identity came from your family, your identity came from your ability to perpetuate your name. He's not living in a Western postmodern culture like ours where we uh, seem to think that we can create our own identity. His identity was tied up in his procreation, and yet he chose not to do that. So where was he going to turn? Where was he going to get his identity? And as he read the scriptures, Philip pointed and said, Jesus, that's where you get your identity now. That is who you are now at the deepest core. And all of us here are searching for an identity. Every single person here, whether maybe most of us are not thinking family is your identity. We, we've, we've, we've gone past that a bit. But maybe your career. Maybe your, uh, the swollenness of your bank account. Maybe the, the, the fact that, you know, what, what car you drive or, or, or the spouse that you have. The respect that you gain. Maybe that's your identity. Maybe a relationship is your identity. But this is the promise to you. The promise to you is that God in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, wants to say something to you right now. And I know there are people in here who are hurting, people who maybe uh, are, are just searching. He says this to you. I will give you an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. The gospel is for the outcast. The gospel is for you and me. The reality that God has entered and crashed into this beautiful and broken world to rescue us. And I don't know where you are right now. I don't know whether this is a, a, a touching a nerve for you, but I, I, I feel like I need to say this. That God is for you. And that God is with you. And that one day... We will all meet him face to face. And you're going to hear either one of two things. I'm not trying to scare anyone. But you're going to hear one of two things. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I don't know you. Or what my hope is. What my prayer is, is this, that when he sees you, he will take you up into his arms and he'll say, my son, my daughter, well done, good and faithful servant. 
and he'll grab you up and the tears of all the pain and all the hurt that you have experienced and you will experience. And if you haven't experienced much, it's coming for you. It's got your name on it. There's some suffering and pain in this world with your name and address. And it's coming. And one day, all of that will be wiped away. And the question is, do you want that? Do you want to be a part of the family that one day a God will, will get down like a father or mother does to his child, wipes away every tear, tells you it was just a bad dream. You're home now. You're with me forever. Where our bodies will be whole, our minds will be whole and healthy. The question is, do you want a part of that? And I invite you now, I invite you to make a decision. I invite you to say yes to Jesus. If you haven't done that in the past, if you've never done that in the past, I invite you to say yes to Jesus and join his family. And as the band comes up and sing, I want to pray for you guys. And I want you to remember that the gospel is for the outcast. And as we are a, a, a group of people together, a family, we need to remember that God is before us. He is already on the mission field. He is priming and prepping. Jesus said, look at the field. They are white with harvest. But oh, how few laborers there are. So I want to invite you to sing, to rejoice with us, and realize that the gospel is not just for the person next to you, but it is for you. Let me pray. Father, we thank you again for who you are for us in Christ. Lord, we thank you that you are good. We thank you, Jesus, that you have not left us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here and you're moving. And I pray now that those who are far from Jesus would come near. That we would see in the life of Philip and the eunuch that you have called us to partner with you to showcase the kingdom of God so that we can be, Lord, previews of what is coming. So help us now, we pray. May you bring those who are far near. May you birth new life today. And may we, we all, and, and particularly some here, say, what's keeping me from being baptized? We love you, Jesus. We know you're here, and we ask for your grace now to cover the rest of our time together. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' precious and mighty and beautiful and perfect name. Amen.